It's something for nothing. The Rush Fancast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, it's morning. This is a strange thing for us recording in the morning. I know. I'm an early bird today. Yeah. So we'll see if we're more refreshed today when we record the podcast. Uh, yeah, we'll see how foggy the brain is. <laughs> so what what are your thoughts so far? We've gotten through two hours. We've talked for two hours about snakes and arrows, and we're going to talk for another hour today. Did you think in your wildest dreams when we started this podcast... We talked about snakes and arrows for three hours. No, I can't imagine talking about anything for three hours before we started this podcast. Well, we're about to do it. You can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast. Instagram, we are at The Rushcast. Email Jerry. Let him know what you think about our endless talk about snakes and arrows. <laughs> the Rushcast at gmail.com. The bass intro and outro done by Lex. He's fabulous. We got a lot to talk about, Jared, today. We do? So let's hear your email. Yeah, we do. We have a lot to talk about. Don't you think? We have two instrumentals to talk about. That's a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's see. Here's an email from Tom. Hey, Tom. About our interview with Donna Halper. Oh, cool. He says, hey, Steve and Jerry, I just listened to your interview with Donna Halper. Great interview as always. She offers a unique perspective to Russia's history, and it's always great to hear what she has to say. I wanted to discuss some of the negativity surrounding... Oh, he's just talking about Ryan Reed. Oh, really? Yeah. I wanted to discuss some of the negativity surrounding Ryan Reed's interview and your defense of him, which I 100% agree with. Oh, nice. I love it when people 100% agree with us. I know. Usually it's like 85. <laughs> it's completely asinine that because Ryan didn't see Rush live, his opinion doesn't matter. I'm right around Ryan's age. I've only seen the band twice. Does that make my opinion of Rush matter twice as much as Ryan's? or matter 25 times less than yours or Steve's? Of course not. I think Ryan's point when he said something like, we're all fans of the band and we should all be on the same team, so to speak. So let's just enjoy that. That's how it should be. It's not a competition, but sadly, as you rightly stated, some people want to feel special. So they put boundaries or requirements on fandom. You're not a real fan if this, or you're not a real fan if that. That's ridiculous. And while listening to your defense of Ryan, not being able to see the band, I couldn't help but play devil's advocate and think if that fan, the one who was criticizing Ryan, who said Ryan's opinion is disqualified, heard your argument, he would say, well, a real fan would drive six hours round trip and a real fan would take out a second mortgage on their house to pay for the tickets and a real fan, blah, blah, blah. Well, to him, I say a real fan would not discredit another fan's opinion or a level of fandom. Wow, that's great. I wish I had thought of that. Yeah. But it's so, so true. Why wouldn't we want more people in this club, Jer? Why do people try to exclude people from the club? I don't know, man. Welcome more people into the club, right? Yeah. They want to feel special, I guess. Everybody wants to feel special, Steve. All Rush fans are special, Jer. That's what That's we were right. discovering. All Rush fans are special. They're unique snowflakes. Indeed, indeed. So we've got a lot to talk about, like I said, with Snakes and Arrows. Let's get right back into it. Track eight. On Snakes and Arrows, Jer, is hope.
this is a very short instrumental Alex guitar piece. Yeah, it's great. And I have a quote from Neil, again, from his liner notes from Snakes and Arrows. In a single inspired performance, Alex recorded this eclectic and poignant solo guitar piece, Hope, which also has qualities of spirituality and new sophistication. He chose the title from the line in Faithless, I Still Cling to Hope. And that song, Hope, is a kind of secular prayer. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I really like this. And it's exactly what this album needs at this point, right? Is a, is a, oh yeah. Something a little lighter. Uh, and it's called Hope because that's, you know, we need some hope at this point after the songs that just came before it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the live version was nominated for a Grammy, Jer, and appeared on the compilation Songs for Tibet. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that either. That's Pretty cool, great. right? Yeah. I just think this song shows Alex's incredible versatility. Oh, yeah. How he can go from playing hard rock to this beautiful classical piece. Yeah. He's, he's a virtuoso. He definitely is. It's amazing. It sounds great. He's got a lot of different flavors in there. It's just uh, amazing. And it leads perfectly because he used the line from Faithless into the song Faithless, which is the next track on Snakes and Arrows. Like the willows in the wind or the cliffs along the ocean I will quietly resist I will quietly got a couple of quotes for you, Jer, on Faithless. The first one's from Getty. I have a Getty quote for you. Great. Faithless is a song about belief systems, about what it takes to get through the day. And it's a personal statement from Neil in that sense. If you look at the chorus, which for me is the most important part of the song, it talks about life. It talks about life when you're not a very religious person, you're not a churchgoer, when you're just a person. You can call it being an atheist, you can call it whatever you want to call it, but there are many people who don't identify with a practice of a particular religion. There are many people who find their own road, find their own spirituality in themselves, and find things to believe in that relate to the way they live. And that's what this song is really about. How about that? Yeah, I, I agree with him. How, how could I disagree with him? I don't know how you could. And Getty, <laughs> Getty really identified with this song, and you can tell. Oh, yeah. With the way he, the way he sung it. And, yeah. Uh, he always talked very positively about this song. So I've got a quote from Neil again from the, the snakes and arrows liner notes. The song faithless is one of the ones that came out of a lot of thinking I did during the writing of road show. That was Neil's book about traveling on the 30th anniversary tour on motorcycle. Mm -hmm. And after being exposed to so much of the evangelical Christianity of the Southern and central United States and traveling through all the back roads and small towns of it on my motorcycle, 
just trying to grapple with that and deal with it, come to some kind of terms with it, I guess you'd say. It seemed almost too overwhelming to protest against it and to fight and make enemies over it, too. That was a big part of it. And I came down to grappling with what you need this for. To me, there were two kinds of faith, a good kind that could be protective and help people, and a bad kind that was militant and you wanted to kill people. In the song, I wanted to express, first of all, that you don't need that kind of faith to have a moral belief and to have, as I describe it, a moral compass and a spirit level. Those were the two metaphors I looked at there. I thought, well, I have those sorts of things. I have a strong sense of right and wrong and a sense of compassion and a sense of charity, and all those weren't contingent on being punished for them or being rewarded for them. Yeah. And that pretty much sums up Neil's thoughts on on faith and religion right there. Well, yeah, I mean, it's also he, um, some of the aspects of armor and sword Yep, are in that quote too, mm-hmm. protective or militant. This is my favorite song on the record, I think. Well, what are your thoughts on it? Oh, yeah. Well, when I think I mentioned in the previous podcast, or maybe the, for, we've talked so long, like we said about this, I don't remember when I said it, that I have, you know, I was, wasn't really into the previous couple of Rush albums that much. Mm-hmm. And this is the album that changed that for me. I really love this album. And I really, it's because of this song. This was the song on the album that I identified with immediately. And I knew what, what it was about immediately. And that just got me into the rest of the album. Yeah. And I think like Getty, you know, we don't consider ourselves atheists necessarily. Right. But we're not religious anymore. That's true. We were brought up Catholic and we're both, I consider good people like Neil was, and we have our own moral compass to steer us. We don't need religion to tell us what's right and wrong. Right. And the other thing that I identify with this song is the line, I will quietly resist. Because I also don't feel the need to tell other people what I believe in or what I don't believe in. Right. I don't think it's my place to tell somebody, hey, you shouldn't believe in that. That's not true. Right. That's for somebody else to decide for themselves. I decide what I believe is true. You decide what you believe is true. And I believe everybody else is uh, free to decide what they believe is true. Yeah. I, I agree with that uh, to a point because as Neil talks about, you know, there's the far right version of every religion mm-hmm. where it's, you know, about controlling other people, about bringing other people into the fold by, what is he saying here? By sermon or by force? Mm-hmm. Is that what he says in one of the lines? So at that point, you have to draw the line somewhere. Well, right. Yeah. I mean, if it gets to the point where violence is involved, then I would speak out against it. Yeah. And just like you, I wouldn't consider myself an, an atheist. I was listening to a podcast once about atheism. Uh, it was an interview with this guy who wrote a book about atheism. And he said something like, you know, there's no word for not believing in ghosts. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like some people believe in, I don't know, fairies in the forest. They really believe it. But there isn't a word that describes people who don't believe it, though. So it's just so strange to have a word for people who don't believe in God. It's just a strange thing to, to label people like that. Yeah, and I always found it strange that there's a church of atheism, is there not? People congregate as atheists? Yes. Which, to me, is the strangest thing of all. I know. It's an Elks Club, basically. I don't know why they have to call it a church of atheists. It's a bunch of people who are on the same page coming together to do stuff. 
But you know, it's also really hard to wrangle those cats, man. You can't you can't get a bunch of atheists in a room and ask them to, you know, come together for some kind of common cause because I don't know, just cantankerous people in general, I think they just don't agree with each other. Yeah, I mean, what what's the cause? Complaining about people who believe in God? Yeah, I don't yeah. <laughs> what? Protesting? I can't even imagine why. But again, you know, the, the thing with religion, I think, is that it does serve a, a purpose in that it, it, you know, creates a community right. of like-minded people to get together and just have a friendship or a fellowship, as some religions call it. And that's what I guess, you know, atheists who, who go to atheist church every Sunday are looking for. I, I don't know. People are just looking for a community. And as long as they're congregating for good and not for bad, I don't have an issue with it. Right. Like you said, if they just want to get together and enjoy each other's company yeah, and do good things for the community, I'm all for it. Yeah. I mean, why not just form a book club? <laughs> you could do that too. You could do that yeah. too. Shall we go through the lyrics a little bit? Let's. So we start out with, I've got my own moral compass to steer by. A guiding star beats a spirit in the sky. Yeah. And all the preaching voices, empty vessels, ring so loud as they move among the crowd. Fools and thieves are well disguised in the temple and marketplace. <laughs> yeah, man. This, I think we're really going to get into it with this song. I've got my own moral compass to steer by. I always wonder, though, where does if there even is an innate morality to people, where does that stem from? He has his own moral compass to steer by. You can't really, these things don't happen in a vacuum, right? Well, I would imagine it's his upbringing. His parents raised him to be a good person and taught him good values. Right. You don't need religion for that. No, but religion certainly can frame those ideas in a certain way, right? Right. And I'm just curious as to why, uh, you know, most reasonable people agree on certain levels of morality. Do you know what I mean? Oh, no, I totally agree. But that, that's a whole other podcast that'll take us hours to uncover, don't you think? I know. I just, I just, whenever I hear that line, I always think about it. I've got my own moral compass to, to steer by, too, I think. And why do you? Right. Where did, where did it come from? It just, it just, it seems strange that it would spring from my own head unbidden without any kind of influence whatsoever. And you as well right. have basically the same exact moral compass, mm -hmm. even though we're different people. Like it, it comes up so often. You have to wonder what's the kernel of that. I would think it has to be your upbringing in some way, shape or form. Yeah. I would think. But then that, that just pushes the question farther back. Yes. And again, we, we could spend hours on this. <laughs> we could. We could spend hours. <laughs> you know what? Here's a, here's a little side, side story. <sighs> One time, a number of years ago, a couple came to the door. They were Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm -hmm. And I do love talking about religion. I really do. And so I went out on the front porch with them, front step with them to talk. And we were talking for 45 minutes. Wow. These are Jehovah's Witnesses, right? So they're, the stereotype of them is that they just want to talk to you about, you know, Jesus and, and the Lord and stuff like that. But we talked for so long and I was so frustrating to them that they were the ones 
<laughs> who said they had to go. <laughs> Are you serious? I swear. I swear. Wow. My older daughter always talks about it. She brings it up a lot. The time I, I out-talked the Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, that's great. That's amazing. Uh, so we get to the chorus, like a stone in the river against the floods of spring. I love that image. I yeah. will quietly resist. Yeah. The thing about that is that over time, though, that stone's going to get worn away. That's true. I mean, it is, it's one, you know, it is, and it's not, it's not a very um, placid way to go about your life. Stand in this, in this, you know, spring tide that's overwhelming. I mean, that's what, that's what it can feel like to be a non-religious person in at least American society. Because it's just everywhere. It's all around you all the time. And especially riding your motorcycle through the South. Oh, I can imagine. If you've ever driven through the Southern United States, Jerry, you, you see it everywhere. You see the crosses right. along the road. You see the signs at the churches. You see, you see everything. Yeah. Yeah. You don't even have to speak to anyone. Yeah. It's just a constant reminder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it can get a little um, intimidating sometimes, at least for me. Yeah. To be surrounded you know, with people who are constantly shouting their beliefs at you. It just it makes me uncomfortable. And it takes a strong person like Neil to quietly resist. Right. Like the willows in the wind or the yeah. cliffs along the ocean. Yeah. I will quietly resist. But st- standing firm, but quietly. Mm-hmm. Right? Not being influenced by it, but still standing your ground. Yep. There's some interesting things in the first verse. Too religious, he he's weaving in some kind of religious imagery to make his point. Right, there's the guiding star, mm-hmm. star of Bethlehem. I'm assuming, right? Right. But his guiding star is the kind, you know, is like the North Star. It's in the same place, right? That you can, you know, you can sail a ship by it, as opposed to, you know, the uh, star of Bethlehem, which came and went or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And then empty vessels ring so loud. You know, you hear that a lot in in religion that. Uh, you know, human beings are vessels for God. You know what I mean? Like we get our essence from God, but these are empty vessels. And because they're empty, they have a lot of resonance to them, right? Right. You can knock on, if it was full and you knocked on the side of it with a little, a little hammer or something like that, it wouldn't just make a thud. It's empty. So when it hits, it just rings. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. And because it's because it's empty, because it does not have, it's not filled with anything. And I think that's one of the critiques he's making here is that the people who, shout the most sometimes are the people who believe the least or have the least knowledge. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. The least understanding of what it's supposed to mean. Right. And no one understands what it's supposed to mean more than Neil. No one understands what it's supposed to mean. (laughs) Nope. If everybody could understand what it's supposed to mean, everybody would think the same thing. Even within religions, how many different sects of religion are there? And they're reading the same thing. Nobody knows what it means. Right. But what I meant was that Neil studied all religions. You know, he did. Yeah. So he knew more about all these different religions than you or I could ever know, probably. Right. That's true. But then the last line, or the last two lines, fools and thieves are well disguised in the temple and marketplace. It's got to be a reference to that a story in the Bible where Jesus throws the merchants out of the temple. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that one? I've I've heard it. I don't. I'm not very familiar with it, but, I, but right. it's, it's vaguely familiar. Fools and thieves are disguised in the temple and marketplace. You know, people selling you things. Either way, 
They're selling you a version of religion. Or they're selling you their wares. In mm-hmm. the story, in the Bible, they're in the same place. So it's like, how dare you sell me on something in this sacred place? I just think it's interesting. He, bring, he brings all of these religious, this religious imagery into a song that is questioning religion. Right, right. And so we get to the chorus, I don't have faith in faith. I don't believe in belief. You can call me faithless, but I still cling to hope and I believe in love. And that's faith enough for me. Yeah. Amazing. Just amazing. It is amazing. But you know, in order to have faith, you kind of need to not only have faith in one thing, you have to have faith in other people who also have the same faith. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You have to trust the pastor, the priest, whoever this person is who is leading the congregation. You have to have faith that their faith is strong. There's a, there's a lot of levels to the faith. Right, right. And I think what, when he's talking about love, it's kind of the same thing. If, you're, if you love somebody, you, you, there's a certain level of faith that they love you back. Right. You know what I mean? And that's the kind of, that's the kind of faith that he has. He wants to have faith in the individual people and how they relate to each other. And that's based on, on love and kindness and things like that. Faith in humanity. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's, and then it's, um, there's a uh, kind of a famous story, uh, Carl Sagan. He was before some kind of committee, and it was about religion. Uh, did you see that movie, um, Contact, Jodie Foster? I did a long time ago. Well, they recreate it in that movie um, where she's being questioned about her religious beliefs or whatever. And her answer is something like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't believe in things that I can't touch or feel or something like that. And mm-hmm. one of the people asks her, well, demonstrate to me that you love your father. Where's the proof of that? Where's the proof of, of loving someone? And you don't have an answer for that. Yeah, you have to have faith in that too. You got to have faith in that too. Yeah. We're getting too deep, Steve? No, no, not at all. Let's do the next verse. <laughs> I've got my own spirit level for balance. To tell if my choice is leading up or down, and all the shouting voices try to throw me off my course, some by sermons, some by force. Fools and thieves are dangerous in the temple and marketplace. Yeah. Yeah, and, that, and yeah. those are the people that, that Neil really has, has an issue with that he's pointing out here. Yeah. The people that throw you off your course by force. He's okay with the sermons, but the force, that's the problem. Yeah, they throw you. Yeah, they can throw you off your course, and he goes back to the temple and marketplace. Right, fools and thieves are dangerous. Mm-hmm. They're well disguised in the first verse, and because they're well disguised, they're dangerous. They're dangerous. Yeah, and I like the spirit level. I've got my own spirit level for balance because the spirit level is just another name for the regular level that you would use with the little mm-hmm. bubble in it, but it has the word spirit in it, so it sounds it sounds a little more mystical. You know, I've got my own spirit level. Yeah, and the lines in the bridge after this verse are a little different. Like a forest bows to winter beneath the deep white silence, I will quietly resist. That's a great, first of all, that's a great image to think of a tree laden with snow, heavy, heavy snow, and the, the limbs are just bowing down. Right. Because they, they, and, but eventually they're going to re- resist. It's going to melt and they'll be back to normal. But, or eventually the snow will be so much that the, the limbs will break. Right. But at this moment, they're just, they're holding, 
course, even though they're being bent mm-hmm. by this heavy weight. And my favorite one, like a flower in the desert that only blooms at night, I will quietly resist. And Hugh Sign used this for the image for the song inside the liner notes for yeah. Snakes and Arrows, which is a beautiful picture as well. Yeah. Um, another side note. <laughs> you got lots of side notes for this one. I know. It's early in the morning. Do you remember my old email address, Steve? One of my first ones, Nictotrope? I, I do remember that. I don't know what it means, though. Well, an, a nictotropic plants are plants that assume a different um, position at night than during the day. Like they might open up, the leaves okay. might open up or something like that. So I think that's what you, how you would describe a, a plant that flowers at night is a, is a nictotropic plant, right? Okay. And so I chose that for that reason. I'm like, oh, plant that flowers at night, it moves at night. You know, I was an emo kind of kid back then, right? <laughs> so I was like, this is great. This is great. And then one day I was chatting with a friend of mine, like AOL chat. He was living in Australia and we were chatting and I got a pop-up instant message from somebody. And the only thing it said was, are you a woman in New York who likes bondage? <laughs> and what, what did that have to do with your email address? Nictotrope is spelled N-Y-C-T-I-T-R-O-P-E. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so the message, that's all the message said. Are you a woman in New York who likes bondage? <laughs> and I responded, no, I'm a plant that flowers at night. <laughs> and he said... Okay, sorry. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> and then you changed your email address. Then I changed my email address because <laughs> right after that too, I was looking for a job and I had that as my email address and the headhunter was like, you have got to get rid of that email address. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's great. Wow. But anyway, yeah, back to the song. Oh, that's classic. So musically, this is another song that was clearly written on the acoustic guitar and, and I just love... Love even the electric guitar parts have that acoustic feel to them. Yeah, I, I, there's just something about this way this song, the way the song is constructed. It's like the, it has a like a, a loping feel to it, right? The drums. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe the drums, but they they sound a little bit off kilter. I don't know if they're what kind of time they're in or whatever. And the way the guitar, you know, that that riff also is just kind of like almost sounds like it's missing a, a missing a beat every once in a while. Right. I don't know what that, it just adds so much to the song. I'm not sure exactly what. And then, and then like the strings come in, right? Right before right. the lyrics, they come in. It gives it that kind of churchy feel, that, that choir feel. And Rush didn't play this on the Clockwork Angels tour, did they, with the string section? I don't believe they did. No. They should have, don't you think? Yeah. They should have played everything with them. <laughs> they really should have. We say that all the time. They should have played this with the string section. They should have played that with the string section. They should have played everything with the string. The string section was so amazing. Oh, it was it was great. And the chorus is so beautiful, you know? It is. It is. It really is. And Getty, again, he related to this song, and so did Alex. And you could feel it come across in both Getty's vocals and Alex's solo, which yeah. there are a lot of songs on this record that he doesn't really have a, a solo per se. But in this yeah. song, it's there, and it's emotional. It's swooping. Yeah, and you can feel that Alex is really feeling this song. Yeah, this is, this is a, just a, a beautiful song. I would like to hear this on acoustic guitar. Oh, yeah. Not that I could play it, but I think, again, it would be, it'd just be a great way to get right to the, the deepness of these lyrics. 
You know, I want to go off on a little side note here. You know, sure. Rush fans talk all the time about how Getty and Alex could somehow continue without Neil. What do you think about Getty and Alex doing some sort of acoustic tour? No drums, just Getty and Alex. Yeah, I had that idea a while ago. I, when I was on, again, we, I think I talked about the Rush Roundtable last episode or the episode before that. I mentioned on there that I think a great idea would be for them to do an acoustic tour. Lee Lifeson. Yeah. And and I don't think you replace Neil. You'd never do. No. Can't replace him. So I don't think they should play as Rush with a drummer ever again. And I don't think they ever will. Nope. But could they do a tour, just the two of them, on acoustic guitar and vocals? I would love to see that. And here's a song they could do. And here's a song they could do. They could do a lot of songs that way. It would be like, um, I would imagine, though, it would be great if they just played smaller places. Do you know what I mean? Oh, 2,000, yeah. 3,000 seat places. And they would probably do it for charity, you know, do it for, for Neil's Cancer Charity or something, you yeah. know? I mean, how great would that be? And it would be for a great cause, and Rush fans would love it. Yeah. I would just want to see Getty playing acoustic bass. Oh, it'd be great. It'd be great. Do you know if he plays like a like an upright bass? I've never seen him. That would be amazing. I've never seen him do it either. That would well, you know he could do it. I know he could do it, but <laughs> Getty could do anything. Yeah, I mean that would be that would be the best ever. Um, you know, and I have one more I have one more thing. There's this great quote from Albert Einstein. Uh, he says, "If people are good only because they fear punishment and hope for reward, then we are a sorry lot indeed." Very true. Very true. Yeah. Brainy guy. And that's what Neil believed, too. Let's move on to track 10 of Snakes and Arrows, Jar. This is Bravest Face. I like that song about this wonderful world. It's got a sunny point of view. And sometimes I feel it's true. All right, Jar, I've got a quote from Neil's liner notes on Snakes and Arrows. He discusses pretty much every song on Snakes and Arrows. When I first listened to a rough sketch of guitar, bass, vocal, and drum machine, I'm hearing it as the lyricist, seeing how the words work. I'm also listening as the drummer, knowing I will have to learn that song and play it maybe hundreds of times. In a larger sense, though, I'm really listening as a fan, someone who wants to love that song. Even on first listen, I felt that way about Bravest Face and The Way the Wind Blows. I was especially excited about how different they were from anything we had done before. Fresh and vital, yet rooted in some deeper musical streams. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. This song is unlike, you know, 90% of Rush songs. Yeah, and the way the wind blows too. I mean, it's, it's similar to that song for sure. 
Yeah, definitely. I look at the acoustic guitar at the beginning just sounds amazing. Yeah. I don't know what kind of sounds he's getting out of that thing. There's some some notes that sound a little bit off key maybe or I don't know what's going on. He's doing mm-hmm. it on purpose obviously, but it sounds fantastic. And it sort of starts out lyrically with a bridge, I guess, not a verse, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is sure. Which is unlike most songs, not just rush songs. If you try to think of this song not starting that way though, it doesn't have the same impact. Yeah. But it's interesting that they started with that section of the song though, right? Yeah. It would be interesting to know if they started the song. They first, you know, if the, it, like one of the original demos or whatever started with just the acoustic guitar. And then they were just like, mm, this needs a little something in the beginning, you know, and yeah. they kind of reworked it. Because it, re- it really, maybe it's because this is the way the song is, you know, and that's the only version of it that I know. I can't imagine it starting just with that acoustic guitar. Right, but it it gives it so much more impact with that line at the beginning. I know. Though we have precious little, it's still precious. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, true. Oh, okay, let's get into this song. Okay, so that line, Jer, though we might have precious little, it's still precious. Even people yeah. who don't have much, that little bit that they have, that it's important to them. Yeah, everybody has things that are important to them, and you can't take something away from somebody and you know, not expect them to be heartbroken mm-hmm. by it. I mean, the song is about, right, people who are in great circumstances and people who are in not so great circumstances. You know what I mean? And just because you're very poor somewhere, you know, you still have your dignity, you still have your identity, you still have your family. These are precious little things, quote unquote precious, mm-hmm. but they're still precious. Yeah. Whatever we see on the surface the reality may be something very different. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I love the verse, how Getty sings it in sort of a storytelling way, you know? <laughs> you know? And that's the thing about this song is the way it's sung, again, is totally different from any other Rush song. And the lyric, you know, I like that song about this wonderful world that's got a sunny point of view. And sometimes I feel it's true. <laughs> <laughs> At least for a few of us. Yeah, right. I mean, it's just like he just sets you up for a gut punch. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I like that world. It makes a wonderful song, but there's a darker point of view that's sadly just as true for so many among us. Yeah. That's, I mean, the way this, this song is constructed, where it starts off with the wonderful world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just in awe. Sometimes I'm just, I'm always... I always love Neil's lyrics, but sometimes I'm just in awe of the the little ways that he can really just kind of filter down images into, you know, the meaning he wants them to have. Yeah. And then we get to the chorus and the sweetest child, there's a vicious streak and the strongest man, there's a child so weak. I like the juxtaposition there. Yeah. The whole wide world, there's no magic place. So you might as well rise, put on your bravest face. (sighs) What I like about that line is, so you might as well. Right. Like, like what else are you going to do? Right. You might as well just put on your bravest face and get through whatever is happening. Yeah. Not necessarily accepting it because it's only your bravest face. It's just, you know, something you're putting on. But, you know, you've got to stand up sometimes and just, you just might as well do it. But what other choice do you have? No. And musically, I just love the transition from the acoustic guitar or the verse 
to the chorus and then back again. It's just something about that transition. That's just so great. I know. Well, I mean, that's, that's however Alex composed this part. They just go together. Great. You know what I mean? Yeah. It really is fantastic. So we, we've got a couple more verses. Yeah. I like that show where they solve all the murders. What show is that? There's a billion of them. (laughs) That heroic point of view. It's got justice and vengeance too. At least so the story goes. Right. Man, he just can't. <laughs> this song just cannot let good feelings live for very long. You yeah. know what I mean? It's got justice and vengeance too. Eh, at least so the story goes. There's so much more to those stories. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the, the murder is solved on the screen, but you know the rest of the story is tragedy for everyone else involved. Yep. They don't show you that in those shows. I like that story makes a satisfying case, but there's a messy point of view that yeah. sadly just is true for yep. so many among us. Yeah. <laughs> Neil's uh, so brilliant. He is. I, can I just sigh for the next 10 minutes? Sure, sigh. How, how much I love his, his lyrics in this song. And, and then we've got the chorus, which is different this time around. In the softest yeah. voice, there's an acid tongue. In the oldest eyes, there's a soul so young. In the shakiest will, there's a core of steel. On the smoothest ride, there's a squeaky wheel. Those are all just great images. Right. The night's opposites. Yeah. Right. I guess with tie, that ties into the fact that uh, there's always an other side mm-hmm. to something, right? Yeah. So, you know, people who have soft voices might spit out something in anger sometimes. People who are old, still feel young, people who are, you know, feeling nervous and don't think they can do it. They've, their core is made of steel. You got smooth rides and squeaky wheels, Mm -hmm. which will eventually, I assume, get the grease, right? This is just one of those songs, Jared, that didn't really hit me when I first heard this album. And now that we've delved deeper into it, I love it so much more. I do. I love the way Getty sings it. I love how the lyrics are so different to everything about this song is just so different from another rush song. You'd be hard pressed to find another rush song that sounds like this. And those are always the best rush songs, really the ones that sound different from every other rush song. Right. And Alex doesn't really have a traditional solo in this one again. Well, he does. I mean, it's kind of jazzy though. Yeah. It's not, not his usual. solo. I'm not saying it's not good. It's just not, it's kind of a small instrumental part more than a solo. It fits with the fact that it's not like any other song. It's not like any other solo he's done. Yeah. Probably ever. I mean, this is might be the most unique solo he's ever done. This wow. jazzy little thing, right? Yeah. What do you think is the most unique Rush song? What's the one Rush song that's most different from any other Rush song? That's a great question, right? That's a great question. This is up there, maybe, right? Oof. You know, we should we should compile these imponderables into an episode maybe okay because i don't i have no idea right now i can't think of i can't think of one that's well we can ask the listeners to email us at the rushcast at gmail.com yeah double agent maybe yeah a song like that yeah and a song like this the thing the problem is that i don't like double agent that much so i would have to go with this song oh, God. double <laughs> agent so good i know we talked about that We talked about this already. We can't get into Double Agent. Let's get into the next track on Snakes and Arrows, Jar. Track 11, Good News First. Good 
Yeah, so this one, Steve. What? Again, the one-two punch starts off. The best we can agree on is that it could have been worse. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's starting already, man. He is starting already. The best we can agree on is that it could have been worse. <laughs> Before we get into this, I have a quote from Alex. I haven't had many Alex quotes on Snakes and Arrows. Good news first really came a long way for me. When we first wrote that song, it was probably one of the, I don't want to say weaker songs in terms of strength. It was sort of down at the bottom. I always thought, we'll do something to it, bring life to it, and take a little bit out of the ordinary place that it's occupying at the moment. As the song progressed, we started trimming. We took a different approach. It was strongly acoustic all the way through the original version, and it really benefited from electric. It really needed the drive of the electric guitar. As much as you want to use your imagination until you actually do it, you're not really quite sure. Well, once we got into recording it, the whole verse section started really growing, and in the middle eight, there's a beautiful change of scenery. It goes from driving electrics and a very rhythmic kind of spooky verse section into this glorious middle eight of acoustics and beautiful melodies and a passionate vocal. And now that song is probably one of my favorites on the record, and that's really cool. When it's a sleeper like that, it's like the runt of the litter ends up being one of the prized dogs. Not that I want to call it a dog. <laughs> that's how he ended it? Yeah. And that's what I'm calling it a dog. <laughs> well, that's good to know, though, that they worked on this song. I'm, I'm always impressed. Uh, obviously, Rush does it. Artists do it all the time. We talked to uh, Jacob Moon, right? About how right. long it took him to do his version of Subdivisions. Mm-hmm. You're recognizing something in a song and just plugging away, chipping away out of it. Right. Keep working at it. Yeah. I think Michelangelo... I think it was Michelangelo, some sculptor or whatever. Somebody asked him how he was such a great sculptor, and he said, I just you know, picture something I want to sculpt, and I just chip away all the things that aren't it. Wow. <laughs> See, but you needed a, sort of, a different sort of mindset to be able to do that. Right, exactly. And that's what Alex has. Right. It's a certain thing to see something and be like, this isn't right. you got to learn how to fix it. And they, they, This one is another gem. Gems, man. This thing, this album is littered with gems. And Neil wrote these words in that same lover's quarrel style, but it's not a lover's quarrel. Yeah. Shall we go through the lyrics? You know, I'd love to. The best we can agree on is it could have been worse, as you already stated. (laughs) What happened to your old benevolent universe? You know, the one with stars that revolve around you, beaming down full of promises to bring good news. You know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the way we've been reading the lyrics for this song yeah, and Faithless, uh-huh. it's just, <laughs> they're very sarcastic. We're just reading them very sarcastically. Should we be? No, I think so. I think so. <laughs> I meant Bravest Face. When we're reading the, the, the lyrics of Bravest Face, we read them a little sarcastically, not Faithless. Or I'm reading them sarcastically is what you're getting at. <laughs> this one too, right? The best we can agree on is that it could have been worse. What happened to your old benevolent universe? <laughs> you know, the one with stars that revolve around the sky. <laughs> revolve around you, Jerry. Yeah, right. Oh, beaming down full of promises to bring good news. Jeez. I mean, wow. it's so true, right? Like old modes of, you know, astronomy, how the... The universe was constructed, you know, with Earth at the center and all that kind of stuff. Back then, it was just like, oh, yeah, of course. Everything's 
in line for us to benefit us. Right. And the spirits in the sky are just going to bring us the good news, which I don't know if you made the connection, but the good news is usually how religious people uh, refer to the, the story of Jesus. Right, right, right. Have you heard the good news? There's a good news Bible. So I guess we'd call this next part the bridge, right? You used to feel that way, the saddest words you could ever say, but I know you'll remember that day and the most beautiful words I could ever say. So I have a question for you, Steve. What is he talking about? What are the words? Like when he says, you used to feel that way, the saddest words you could ever say, are the saddest words you could ever say, I used to feel that way? I don't know. This is like that cold fire argument we had, Jer. <laughs> But I know you'll remember the day and the most beautiful words I could ever say. What words are we talking about here? Words of comfort? Well, again, what we have to remember is Neil's not talking to one person. He's talking to the world as a whole. Right. So we have to have that as kind of the base of this. Yeah. So then what does it mean? So, I mean, I, I like it. I like the way it sounds. I just don't exactly know how to parse it to understand it. Well, let, let's read the rest and see if we can figure it out. Yes. The worst thing about it all is that you might have been right. And I'm still not really sure what started that fight. But I still get this feeling that there's more trouble ahead. So never mind the bad news. Let's have the good news instead. Is that the lyric that you have? Yeah. Are you reading it from the liner notes? I'm reading it from Rush.com, Jer. Mm, okay. The source for Rush lyrics. The, yeah. <laughs> My, uh, the thing I pulled it from are a little different, I guess it is. It didn't make sense on mine because the mind says the worst thing about it is that you've never been right. I'm like, oh. I don't know. But if it's from Rush and it says might have been right, I like that better. I still don't really know exactly what Neil's talking about here. Either do I. But I guess it would have to be, you know, if we're talking about like uh, in the first verse, we're talking about, you know, the earth-centric model of the solar system and the universe and things mm -hmm. like that. I suppose there's a chance that that could have been right. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's what he's talking about. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, and, and maybe it's just a comment on the fact that it's not right, and yet some people still kind of believe it. Maybe. That might be a stretch. Yeah. Well, I love the heavy guitar and the guitar overdubs in the verse. And Getty's vocals are just great. And when we get Fantastic. to this next part, which I guess you call the chorus, the acoustic guitar comes charging in. Yep. And Getty's voice is just phenomenal. Some would say they never fear a thing. Well, I do. And I'm afraid enough for both of us, for me and you. Time, if nothing else, will do its worst. So do me that favor and tell me the good news first. Yeah. <laughs> right. But the way Getty sings that section yeah. and the acoustic guitar charging through it, I mean, again, just another different Rush song. Yeah, definitely. I just love the fact that some would say that there's, they never have, some would say they never fear a thing. Well, I do. Yeah. Right? And the thing that he's afraid of um, is time, right? Doing the worst thing. He's, I think it, if you're talking, he may, may not be him who's afraid of it, but just like the question of what's going to happen in the future. Will we ever get to a, a point where people finally get along? <laughs> you know what I mean? 
where these divisions just just stop and everyone's just like leave each other alone. Yeah, I mean, maybe this song isn't about one specific thing. It's just about right. all the the problems in the world. Neil wants to hear the good news first before he hears all this bad news. That's true. Well, I was going to ask you. You know, it's a it's a quite it's almost like a uh, like a stereotypical question, right? And like TV shows, you know, mm. you want to hear the good news or the bad news. Which do you want to hear? Do you want to hear the good news first or the bad news first? Right. It reminds me a little bit of Red Lenses from Grace Under Pressure. Yeah. Neil reading the news and all those red headlines. Yeah. He wants to hear the good news first. Yeah, he wants to hear good news first, but is that because the bad news is so bad? Yeah. Because if you hear the bad news first, it's going to spoil the good news. And there's more of it. Bad and there's just more, there's just more, there's always more bad news than there is good news. Oh right? yeah. Oh man. What a, what a song. And, and like you said, the best line I think in the song is some would say they never fear a thing. Well, I do. Yeah. That's so powerful. It is. Well, Jerry, we, we agree on one oh. thing. This album is fantastic. It is fantastic. Would you call it a, a, a forgotten gem? Yeah. Is it grace under pressure? Forgotten gem? Yes, this is Grace Under Pressure-esque for sure. Yeah. For sure. Track 12 on Snakes and Arrows, Jar is Malignant Narcissism. Jeremiah, quote on malignant narcissism is from Getty Lee. Okay. We're all big Matt Stone fans and South Park <laughs> fans. So we were all fans of that movie, and Neil is friends with Matt Stone. And Matt and Trey Parker were both Rush fans at some point, so they kept in contact. And Neil said, look, we want to do this song called Malignant Narcissism. And Matt was thrilled. He said, great. The title of the song, Jer, is yeah. inspired by the film Team America World Police. <laughs> in that film, the psychological term malignant narcissism is used in reference to Islamic terrorists. That's a funny movie. Yeah, and, and the voice heard as an audio sample taken from the film appears at 108 in the song. It's a female voice saying, usually a case of malignant narcissism brought on during childhood. I don't remember that being in the movie. I remember the movie specifically for its puppetry sex scenes. Yeah, <laughs> which were amazing. I really don't remember anything else about that movie except that. Uh, I remember one specific song that I don't really want to say the name of. I don't remember the song <laughs> in that either. It's a good movie. It's a good movie, and I and I and I can see why uh, the guys are South Park fans for sure. Right. So this song, Jeb, before we get into it, was nominated for a 2008 Grammy for Best Instrumental Performance, as Rush was many times nominated. Yes. Never won. Did they lose to the police again? No, they lost to Bruce Springsteen. What? Who was well known for his instrumental pieces. What instrumental did he? You ready to hear this, Jar? I don't, I don't, I'm unfamiliar with a Springsteen instrumental piece.
It's called Once Upon a Time in the West. And I've got nothing against Bruce, okay? I love Bruce. I, hey, this is not a great instrumental piece, <laughs> is it? No, it? no, no, it is not. I guarantee you the voters for the Grammys saw the list of nominees, Rush, whoever, 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 Bruce Springsteen, and they just check off Bruce because he's Bruce. Of course. Which is why the yeah. police won, you know, how many years <laughs> earlier, because right. it's Sting. Oh, Sting must, yeah. must be good. It's the police. Check it off, right? Uh, I had never heard it until you mentioned it right now, and I just listened to it. Mm. No. It's like background music. It's almost like inter- interstitial music in a movie. You know what I mean? It's like the background music you might hear in some scene in the desert. Yeah. Why are, we, why are we slagging on Bruce Springsteen? I love Bruce. I'm not slagging on Bruce. <laughs> I'm slagging on the Grammy voters. I bet you, you put Bruce Springsteen in a room and say, did you really deserve to win the best instrumental? He would say, of course not. That's crap. <laughs> That's Malignant narcissism, of course. Well, I don't won. know. Look, I, I don't know who the other nominees were, so I don't want to say Rush should have won. But I'm saying Malignant Narcissism versus this Bruce song? Yeah. It's Rush. Yeah, no contest. No contest. Getty used a Jocko Pistorius signature fretless bass on this one. Wow. Yeah. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, that's cool. He loved Jocko. Nick Rasculenitz suggested it, and Getty went with it. Your thoughts on this instrumental, Jer? Well, again, uh, I think I referenced, uh, again, I talk about the, the Rush Roundtable, the guys at, at Rush fans on Instagram. We had a, a discussion about the best rush instrumentals and i put this one kind of toward the bottom but again in context of the album it's it fits in great oh yeah it's short it's short it's just got a lot of punch to it i like it yeah it's only two minutes and 16 seconds yeah and and i love getty's bass sound i didn't realize it was a fretless bass it doesn't have that fretless sound to it but it does sound great yeah i looked up what malignant narcissism really is and what is it? You want to hear some some of the traits sure. of a malignant narcissist? Sure. You might you might know some people in some realms of your life that are like this. Little or no empathy for other people's emotions or feelings, a significant need for attention, admiration, and recognition, an inflated sense of self-importance, such as a tendency to exaggerate personal talent or achievements, a belief in personal specialness and superiority, a sense of entitlement, a tendency to take advantage of others or exploit people for personal gain, arrogant (laughs) or conceited behavior and attitudes, and a tendency to envy others and believe that others envy you. Wow. And there are a few more. There's like two different aspects to it. I found out. So this is, that was one aspect of it. And the other aspect is disdain for authority and social norms shown by continued illegal or law-breaking behavior a pattern of deceit, including exploitation and manipulation of other people, reckless, impulsive, or risky behavior that shows disregard for personal safety or the safety of others, little or no remorse for harmful or illegal actions, a generally hostile, irritable, aggressive, restless, or agitated mood, a pattern of irresponsible, arrogant, or dis- disrespectful behavior, and difficulty planning ahead. <laughs> There's one person that... That describes perfectly, but I'm not going to right? get into it. We're going to get right into the next track on Snakes and Arrows, Jer. I know. The 13th, We Hold On. How many times do we tire? 
to call it quits Tempted to cut and run How many times do we weather out the stormy evenings Long to slam the front door Drive away into the setting sun So Neil says in the liner notes, Jared, the same lover's quarrel device that we talked about colors the album's final statement, We Hold On, with a nod to T.S. Eliot for Measured Out in Coffee Breaks. Oh. If many of the other lyrics illuminate the struggles we all have to face in love and in life, this one shows how we deal with it. We hold on. It's a great way to end the album. Oh, totally. And the themes of the album. Mm Mm-hmm. It's funny that you that mentioned that I didn't pick up on the, the measured out and coffee breaks, but that's also a, a line in uh, Crash Test Dummies song. Which one? Afternoons and Coffee Spoons? or Yes, Afternoon and Coffee Spoons. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Afternoons and Coffee Spoons. I do remember that song. You know, we can all relate to these lyrics. You know, we all yeah. have tough times in life. We all want to quit, whether yep. it's a job, a relationship, a project. But, you know, we've got to stick to it and hold on, right? Right. Yeah. How many times do we tire of all the little battles, threaten to call it quits, tempted to cut and run? How many times do we weather out the stormy evenings, long to slam the front door, drive away into the setting sun? How many times did we want to stop doing this podcast, Jar? because it's so much work? I don't know. But man. we hold on, so right? <laughs> I, that reminds me, Steve, I got to go out for a pack of cigarettes. Uh, I've, I might not be back. Then we get to the chorus, right? Keep going until dawn. How many times must another line be drawn? We could be down and gone, but we hold on. Yeah. The lines drawn to me seem like personal lines, right? Like you say to yourself, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. Like something at work or something like that. I'm not mm-hmm. going to be disrespected at work anymore. Here's, here's the line. I'm going to quit. But then, you know, you, you need the job. You need the money. The disrespect comes. Right. Bah. Now you push the, push the line a little further. It could be relationships, could be anything, but you know, most of us just have to hold on yeah. to what we're doing. Some people's choices are extremely limited. You just have to hold on. And it's not a very positive thing. It's an encouraging thing to say, you know, hold on, but it's not a very positive thing right? to say. Like you said, just a great way to end the record. I wanted to point out that the last three songs, the ones with lyrics, Bravest Face, Good News First, and this one were never played live. Why do you mm. think that is? Can't tell you. Do you think the band weren't as in love with these songs as the others? Was it just that there were 13 songs on the record that could only fit so many in, and there were only so many tours after this that they never got around to playing them, or did, did they not like them as much? Uh, who knows? I would imagine it's the, it's the former. There's too many songs. Yeah. I think we've talked about the songs that they have to play. Mm-hmm. Right. So they pack in those and then there's a second tier of songs they have to play too, kind of, right? Right. And then 
the rest. So you just can't squeeze in. We hold on. Right. When, when they have Far Cry to play, you know what I mean? Faithless to play. Do you think the fact that these songs kind of go by the wayside, people kind of forget about these last three songs on the record. Yeah. Is it because they were never played live? Probably, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if they were on some kind of live compilation, people might be exposed to them more. I don't know about you. I mean, we've been talking about whether, you know, you need to see Rush live to appreciate Rush. One thing's for sure, if you do see Rush live, the songs you see them perform live, you appreciate those songs more than you would if you hadn't. That's true. And I guess if you haven't seen Rush live, you don't know what you're missing. So, you know, all the songs are kind of equal in that way. Yeah. But for me, the songs on this record I like more just happen to be the ones that I saw them do live. Well, yeah, it's true. So these three songs, while I like them, I don't like them as much as I like the others. And maybe that's the reason. Yeah, it's probably the reason. Yeah. It's gotta be right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's just something about being in at a concert, right? It's a different headspace. You're thinking yeah. a different way and you're just more, I think, receptive to the experience at the time. Yeah. Speaking of concerts, I have a set list for you, Jer. Yeah. From the Snakes and Arrows tour. This is from Center Bell or the Bell Center, I guess, in Montreal, Canada, June 12th, 2008. Two sets, Jer. Set one, Limelight, Digital Man. I'd forgotten they did Digital Man on this tour. How cool is that? Yeah. That is great. Ghost of a Chance, Mission, Free Will, The Main Monkey Business, The Larger Bowl, wow. Red Barchetta, The Trees, and here's a treat for everyone, Between the Wheels, yeah, and Dreamline ends the first set. That's quite a set. That is quite a set. So the second set, they come out with Far Cry, all songs from Snakes and Arrows coming up here, Working Them Angels. Armor and Sword, Spin Drift, and The Way the Wind Blows. Wow, in a row. Five new songs in a row. All great, though. Yeah. Subdivisions, Natural Science, followed by Witch Hunt, Malignant Narcissism, Neil's Drum Solo, and then out of Neil's Drum Solo, Hope, followed by The Spirit of Radio, 2112 Part 1 and 2, and Tom Sawyer. Tom Sawyer was the, the last song of the set. Yes. Yeah. The encore was One Little Victory, A Passage to Bangkok. Oh, I don't remember that. I don't know if they played that at our show. And YYZ. Wow. How about that for a set? That's amazing. So your thoughts overall on Snakes and Arrows now that we've finished talking for more than three hours about it? Well, it, it, like I said, it, it has definitely jumped up in my ranking. It was just one of those albums that, while I liked it at the time, and um, thought it was better than the previous albums. Uh, listening to it, I don't, I don't remember the last time I listened to it in its entirety. I certainly haven't listened to it like this in a long time. Uh, it's a fantastic album. Yeah, it's terrific. Yeah, there's just some songs on here that are going to go on, you know, rotation. Sometimes I just listen to random Rush songs, you know, and definitely I'm going to pick up the way the wind blows and throw it in there sometimes. Absolutely. You can find us on Twitter. We are at RushFanCast. Instagram, we are at TheRushCast. Email Jerry. Let him know what you thought of our conversation about snakes and arrows at TheRushCast at gmail.com. Lex did the bass intro and outro. He's fabulous. And Jerry's got a quote, which will be 
fabulous. Let's hear it. Of course, of course. I like that song about this wonderful world. It's got a sunny point of view. And sometimes I feel it's true, at least for a few of us. Very few of us. Yep. Thanks, Jer. Okay, see you later, Steve.